biological children. Now, we do know as a human that breeding is always a risk. You can also find that in the animal kingdom, in zoology. Because having children is eternal anxiety and worry. I mean, unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath, you're going to be concerned about that child for your entire life. You're never going to end your parenting unless something tragic happens to the child. And then it's going to be up to you to be a steward of their memory. But once you have a child, you never stop being a parent. And for some people, that kind of responsibility can be too much. And then, although it may seem a bit comical, in group dynamics, inevitably, we have to talk about pets. P-E-T-S, pets. Or a person by proxy. Now, you've got individuals that look at cats and dogs and, and reptiles and whatever. And these pets, again, serve a utility. If a human, if they want to love, and they have gotten to a point where they have not been able to make that connection with another human, they can always acquire a pet. Now, it's still an acquisition. But many of the people that were studied that believe that their pets are treated like humans, they will get a burial when they die, they are in a will. We have, we noted in psychology and sociology that there were individuals that left pets, vehicles, money, land. Now, this may appear to be a little bit, again, comical. But I can assure you that their pathology is just as sincere as a mother to a daughter. You may not understand the connective tissue between somebody and their pet, but that pet allows them to remain a human. Because to shut down completely is somewhat impossible, but it's also completely unhealthy. We are creatures of cognition, but we are also creatures of sensation. And we need to get rid of that feeling of loneliness. And so if you want to think of emotions as you would a commodity, in the same way that you, you have siblings, you have children, you have somebody to be responsible, to, to be held accountable for, you have to feed them and clothe them. It's Maslow's hierarchy of need. When you acquire a pet, it's the same thing. You have to take care of them. And they, they reciprocate in a way that you believe that you understand. And that dynamic is something that cannot be conveyed to someone with perfect clarity. So when we start talking about those things that develop later on in life, 
and these case studies that I'm talking about in regards to pets, that they really didn't have a specific age, but there were people of a certain age, especially for those that are empty nesters or individuals that had uh, basically married their occupation, they didn't have time for a family, and they decided to treat their pet like a child or a grandchild or whatever. But sometimes there is causation in the external. We're talking about toxicity. We're talking about toxic people. It is true that as a creature of cognition and a creature of sensation that when we do come across individuals that are toxic and they cause us a problem, we do find ourselves in a situation where instead of running towards something, we're running away from something. And perhaps we're trying to save ourselves or maybe we're trying to save somebody else. But there is a difference in group dynamics when you are running away from something versus running towards something. And again, that's something that is probably still being debated somewhere in a classroom because it was an issue when I taught the course. So now, to close out the episode, now we're going to actually get into some of the things that I did teach. Now, these things have changed over the years, and I'm not going to go into great depth here. But if you are able to visualize your family, whether it's your marriage or your children, your nuclear, your immediate um, you're chosen. As I said, in group dynamics, all humans play a role. Your characteristics, your personality are going to come out whether you like it or not. And again, in group dynamics, the Genesis primer is going to be utility. You know, if you need, if you need a mechanic because your car is not running, it is irrational for you to say, I think I'm going to get my dentist to take a look at my car. You know, your vehicle doesn't need dental work. And if it does, you have a much bigger problem than not being able to start your car. But in group dynamics, we're also talking about depreciation. We're talking about maintenance. That's what a mechanic is. That's what a... That's what a maintenance worker is in a building. That's what it is to take care of the machines in your company and your business. You need people to keep things running the way that you expect them. Now, this is one of the things that group dynamics always causes a problem, but expectations are something that can be completely detrimental to the human. And this relationship can be found from the parent on to the child, especially if the parent is unsatisfied with their life. It is not idle that teenage angst and the midlife crisis mirror each other. 
Did I pick the right career? Did I have too many kids? Did I pick the right spouse? Should I have gotten married? All these things come into play when you look at yourself in your teenage years. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? What am I? Because when you ask the question, what is a family, indirectly you're asking, where do I fit in this family? And of course, when you start dealing with parents that are trying to live through their children, that relationship not only is dysfunctional, but in some cases has affected the quality of life for the child to the point where the child wound up committing suicide, drug abuse, alcoholism. So we're always going to be dealing with utility. We're always going to be dealing with maintenance when we talk about group dynamics. And we're always going to be on the lookout for toxicity. In group dynamics, you've got to be able to identify those people that are going to cause a problem for you. It isn't just physical abuse. It could be emotional abuse. Or it could be otherworldly expectations. It doesn't matter their intentions. That's not the point. You have to decide for yourself, by yourself, if that person should be in your life. And you need to be absolutely honest and clear about why they're in your life. What role do they play? Because if it's just casual and you want something a little bit more, at what point, again, do you say, where do I end? Where do we begin? Or where do I begin? And where do we end? Just a few simple words in the form of a question, but the answer can take a lifetime. And you may not get the answer that you want. But when we go into the actual titles, you've got in-group dynamics, you've got leaders, you've got people that are creation, their idea, they, they come up with solutions, with problems that haven't even come about yet. You've got the, you've got the group politician trying to gain consensus, trying to puppeteer. Then you have people that are a little bit robotic. You've got individuals that are wanting to handle the notes and the, and the, and the finances of the family of the group. And then, of course, the notorious devil's advocate. I've always enjoyed that title. Because of the term devil, it's completely derogatory. So nobody wants to play the role. But the issue is, is that the devil's advocate actually does some prevention. It keeps the group from going into herd mind, herd thinking. The devil's advocate is the, is the last soldier for individual sovereignty, regardless of the size of the group, whether it is blood or it is chosen. 
Now, for those people that are going to be responsible for maintenance, you've got people that are going to be your, your foundation, your, your support network. You've got people that are going to, they're going to be sort of, sort of like a uh, babysitter, a counselor. They're going to try to maintain group harmony. They don't want anybody rocking the boat. They don't want any venting. They don't want uh, any temper tantrums. They're going to try to keep everything on an even keel because they believe that harmony is going to get the group to function at full power. And then you've got people that are going to be at the door, the velvet rope. They're going to be security. They're going to make sure people are talking. They're going to be making sure people spend time together. We want to have a family dinner at the dinner table. We don't want to be on our phones. We don't want to be in front of the TV. Um, you know, we want to have a meeting, but I want you to get rid of your, uh, your ear pods or, you know, something like that. Uh, you've got somebody that's going to try to maintain order. You've got, you've got the group cop and the judge and the lawyer. And predominantly, this is going to be one or two, maybe three people, depending on the size of the group. But they are always going to believe that there should be protocol followed in all things. And then again, I mentioned the term empath. You've got individuals that, again, believe in harmony, but they also believe that everybody should have the right to express themselves. Because if you're going to repress individuals, in group dynamics, humans speak with their wallet, they speak with their feet, but they can also just simply say things. And if you don't let the human and language would be considered somewhat like water, it's going to take the path of least resistance. The human, if they're, especially if they're passive-aggressive, they're going to avoid the, that type of overt conflict. But you've, you're going to have somebody in your family, somebody in your group, and they're going to want, they're going to encourage you to express yourself. And so here, again, this can be another watershed moment for you, you may not want to express yourself or you may not feel comfortable with letting people know how you feel. So it's just going to be another form of external trigger maturation. This individual in your group is going to out you as someone who doesn't really want to express themselves or they just go along with the group. You you're not really a wolf, but you are definitely sheep. Now in group dynamics, again, when we start talking about toxicity, and this is something that you can find in your own little group, in your own family, you've got people, and if they're blood or by marriage, there really isn't anything you can, well, the only defense mechanism you have is avoidance. I mean, I'm not going to get into Freud, but within brevity, the only way to deal with toxicity when in regards to location or blood 
this is somebody part of your birth family or in marriage, is to avoid them. And I know that sounds easy, but this is something that you really can't hide because other people in the family are going to be looking at the way that you didn't show up to that that kid's birthday party or you you didn't you didn't really participate in Thanksgiving dinner um, maybe for your family holidays are are a little bit iffy but you're going to have to start dealing with the toxic the, the most toxic people first. And that's going to be their position. Now, with all things, the devil's advocate is by far the most well-known, but it's not the only one. Um, you've got people that isolate. You show up, but you decide not to participate, or you wait to feel it out, or you've got you know, you've got the village idiot, you've got the village clown, you've got the town drunk. Uh, you, you, you know, you've got the individual that wants to play director of the party. You've got the salesman, you've got the individual that wants to shake everybody's hand and introduce and, and network. The introvert and the extrovert. But when you start talking about the devil's advocate, it can be seen in the cynic. It can be seen in the person that is a defender of themselves, and they try to oppress people and their expression. They, they don't want anything to change. These are the individuals that keep hold of the, of the tradition of the company or the family or the school, and that tradition means more than any other person in the group. Even the group as a collective is not anywhere near as important as tradition. I know that may seem noble, but in group dynamics, this individual is identified as toxic because tradition has got to fall by the wayside if you're talking about the mental or emotional or physical well-being of another human. And then you've got what in modernity would be called the bully. But in group dynamics, this is somebody that they're, they are prepared to fight anybody, anytime, over anything. And they will initiate these things. Now, I know that bullying has become, well, it, it, it's become part of the American conversation the American narrative, because kids seem to be reacting in very extreme ways. Bullying has forced people to start talking about suicide, but it's also started the argument about gun control. Um, you, for the first time ever, you've actually got parents being prosecuted for the things and activities of their children that have broken the law. You've got children that are being prosecuted as adults for the things that they have done to other children. And in group dynamics, the bully is somebody that 
just has really never addressed their own insecurities. Bullies and their pathology are not new. It's not a secret. But it's the way that we deal with them. And so in group dynamics, when you start talking about occupation, talking about your workplace, talking about your family, people change. Bloodline, marriage, chosen. You acquired this person when you were 14 and they served a utility. At 31, this person is now a problem. They have become an alcoholic and they're starting to cause a problem with your relationship. They're coming into your place of work. They're coming into your company. You're, you're an entrepreneur. They're making you look foolish. Um, they ruined your, your, your birthday party or they ruined your, your dinner party because they were drunk. That's just one example of what happens in group dynamics. And it's very difficult to explain to people as a social creature that in time, when people prove that they are, that they are toxic, you're always going to have to go back to that transition from those families that you were born into and those that you chose. In trying to save someone, do you lose or are you willing to lose part of yourself? Because this person is toxic and they can actually cause you to become problematic. They can cause you to become toxic. So the thing that has infected them, whatever it may be, if you believe that that person is worth saving, you're going to deal with the reality of that situation, of the human condition. In trying to save them, you may have to sacrifice yourself. I know this is a really long episode, and I knew that it would be. I don't know if you've been able to make it this far. But I will tell you that in closing, the idea about choosing the people in your life, the, the individuals that aren't blood, you're not bound by them. It is true that you can get married, but it is also true that you can get divorced. It is true that you can say yes and turn around and say no. You can give somebody a comfortable chair or you can show them the door. But in group dynamics, the trust that we speak of, it all comes from the womb of honesty. If you're not going to be honest, then it's not going to go well. You cannot go through life with an attitude that accidents 
are always going to end well. You have been listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson, and I am a drug user, and I am a childhood survivor. I'm an adult survivor of childhood sex abuse. For those of you that identify as victims of abuse and addiction, there is no shame in asking for help. It is out there. And I'm always willing to listen. May you be a blessing. And may you find serenity. <laughs>